Welcome to Trauma and Pop Culture, a monthly podcast where we seek to make knowledge about trauma accessible to the everyday person through analyzing books, movies, TV shows, and other elements of popular culture through a trauma lens. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'm a trauma recovery coach. I also have a master's degree in religion and cultures and work with survivors of trauma on a regular basis. A word about popular culture. This could be material from modern times, like a Taylor Swift song, or it could be something really old that has retained its relevance over time, like Shakespeare. On most of the episodes on trauma and pop culture, I'll be bringing other mental health professionals into the conversation, but occasionally it'll just be me. While we will be sharing general information about trauma, we are not diagnosing anyone, which is one of the reasons we'll likely stick to fiction most of the time. Please be advised that every discussion assumes everyone has listened to or read or watched said popular item. Expect spoilers around every corner. Occasionally, we'll record these episodes while drinking or eating, so you'll often hear us discuss our food and beverage choices. Just wanted to give you a heads up. If you have questions about trauma or a show or movie or anything you think would be great to analyze, send it to traumaandpopculture at gmail.com. As I mentioned, I am a trauma recovery coach who also works with clients one-on-one. If you're interested in working with me, you can visit my website, katherinespearing.com slash coaching for more information and use the contact form to reach out. While you're on my website, you can sign up for my monthly mailing list, where I'll send out more tidbits about trauma, what popular culture stories I have found helpful on my own trauma recovery journey, plus a few other things you might enjoy. While the tone of this podcast is mostly lighthearted and fun, we will be discussing trauma. There might be some elements that are activating, especially if you're a trauma survivor. So move slow, take care of yourself. If you find yourself overwhelmed, you can always take a break and come back later. Okay, it is 6 a.m. and I just finished reading The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. And there's so much connection to trauma in this book that I really just had to sit down and record it all. Normally I would write this, but because of this podcast, Pop Culture and Trauma, and the fact that there is so much trauma in this book, I thought it would be a good book to discuss. I knew very little about this book when I started reading it. And so I looked at the book. I actually Googled if they were making a movie out of this, which they are making a movie with starring Dakota Fanning, which I think will be fantastic. I heard that they're now thinking about making it a show. I don't think it should be a show. I think it should be a movie. There's, there's, there's a, there's not enough material to make it a show, but I, so I, I literally knew nothing. All I knew was Sylvia Plath had died by suicide and that was, that was it. <laughs> like, that was literally all I knew when I started reading the book. I, I was prompted to read it after watching the TV show Sex Education and one of the characters in Sex Education, this is one of her favorite books. And I was like, oh, I should read that book because I knew it had something to do with sexual awakening. And it does, it actually does. And Sex Education, the show, the Netflix show would be a great show to discuss on pop culture and trauma. So maybe we'll discuss that at some point. So I knew nothing about this story when I started reading it. And one of the things that I was struck by immediately was not only the, 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 the disassociation of the main character, Esther Greenwood. I was also struck by the disassociation 
of the writing itself. And it's interesting, I started picking up on that about maybe halfway through and just started to wonder, again, having no idea that this was an autobiographical or it's a pseudo autobiographical, semi autobiographical, it's not obviously an autobiography, it's fictionalized. Having no idea that it was autobiographical, I started wondering, is this autobiographical because the the disassociation of the writing mirrors the disassociation of the character and one of the things that's interesting about writing or one of the things that's important to know about writing is you have an authorial voice which is the the voice of the author and then you have and then you have the voice of the character, the main character, or the characters in the book, which that can, a lot of times, if you change different points of view, that voice will change. But there's a separation between the authorial voice and the character's voice that often occurs in writing fiction. And in this book, I could not separate the authorial voice from the main character's voice which makes sense now that I know that it's an autobiographical story or a semi-autobiographical story. It's a story that she wrote that mirrors her life and she fictionalizes it and and turns a lot of the characters that were actually real life people in her life and kind of writes a character caricatured version. All of this I read this morning <laughs> at 6 a.m. because I woke up at 5 a.m. and was trying to go back to sleep. So I usually read to try and put myself back to sleep and ended up finishing the bell jar and then had all of these thoughts buzzing in my head and was like, I just need to get these down. So there's this disassociation this, this that's happening in the story itself. And, and when I say disassociation, I mean there is no connection made between the depression that Esther Greenwood experiences and the trauma that she has experienced in her life. For example, her father died when she was very, very young. And in real life, Sylvia Plath's father died when she was eight years old. That's traumatic. She also published her first poem at eight years old. The irony is not lost on me that those two things happened in the same year. Her father was an immigrant. I'm talking about Sylvia Plath now. Her father was an immigrant. That's pretty, that that brings with it its own trauma and, and immigrant parents often pass down their trauma to their children, especially that first generation. And so there's a lot of trauma there. They don't say much about that in the book. She doesn't say much about that in the book, about whether or not where her father came from. Raised in a single, raised by a single mom in a time period where that just wasn't normal in in suburbs where she received a lot of messages about womanhood that I totally relate with this that just didn't resonate with her as a woman there was just these prescribed roles for women and she didn't want those roles she wasn't excited about these roles that women were supposed to play and I resonate with that so much just in my own upbringing of being told these are the things that women do or seeing all these women in these different roles in life and just realizing I just didn't connect with any of those roles and didn't really want to do anything that women normally did. And so that's a trauma when she is growing up in this world. Being told this is what you're supposed to do as a woman or this is what women do. One of the things is that her her mother keeps trying to get her to, to learn how to write shorthand 
so that she has this marketable skill that she can use as a woman when her academic career fails. That's, you know, a trauma in itself of your mother not not expecting your dreams to come true or not really supporting your dreams. So there was a lot of problems with her relationship with her mother that were so obvious on one hand, but then the character is very disassociated from those issues. And so there are these little messages that are telling you that there are issues in her relationship with her mother, but the direct connection between those, those relational rifts is never quite made. Then there are the messages about sex that she receives as a woman. There's a double standard between men and women about sex and sexuality. And that, that in and of itself is a trauma when you go through life experiencing this double standard based on gender. That's a trauma. And then, and then there is the major trauma that occurs when she's in New York City as a college student, 19 years old, and she is sexually assaulted. And it's a very short, very short blip in the story. Very, very short. I mean, maybe two pages in the entire book of describing this sexual assault. And it happens. And then there is zero reference to the sexual assault. The rest of the book, there's zero reference to the sexual assault. And so that in and of itself is not just the disassociation of the, the character, but I, I believe that also indicates a bit of disassociation in the writing itself. The, because that's, that's a major, major trauma. She is depressed. Esther Greenwood is depressed, probably clinically depressed for the whole book. It took me a while to pick up on it. And I think that it, it stood out pretty starkly after the sexual assault, her depression. But then as I kept reading, I was like, oh, I think she was actually clinically depressed from the very beginning of the book. And, and signs of that were just her kind of inability to, to really feel anything strongly about anything. Like there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of strong emotion about anything, except there's this one scene where she describes taking a bath and like the joy of taking a bath and the fact that the taking a hot bath can fix anything. It's like the cure for anything. And and so there's like a real genuine joy when she's describing taking a hot bath. But other than that, like her emotions about things are just not, yeah, it's very obvious. There's, the, there's a dullness and a numbness and a fragmentation in her, her ability to feel that after the sexual assault, it seems to be exacerbated. But again, no reference to it at all. No connection made to that at all. And even when she does finally, because one of the themes in the story is she she wants to have sex. And so she's kind of looking for a man throughout the book to have sex with. And, and, and so even when she finally does have sex at the end of the book, sorry, spoiler, but even at the very end of the book, when she finally does actually have intercourse with a man, she ends up hemorrhaging and it, and that is pretty traumatic. But even in that moment, the sexual assault is never mentioned. Like she doesn't bring it up. Character doesn't bring it up. Author doesn't bring it up. It just, it just doesn't come up at all and so there's no connection made to that there is a moment where she goes to visit her father's grave and her mother didn't really grieve openly about the loss of the father and didn't really seem like there was a lot of love lost and so 
this little child who lost her father and who had affection for her father was not given healthy tools to grieve, healthy resources to grieve the loss of her father. And so having this traumatic thing happen and then not being equipped to deal with the trauma or deal with the grief. And then at 19 years old, when she is in the middle of her emotional breakdown, she goes to her father's grave and she she weeps at her father's grave and sort of has this grieving moment at her father's grave. There is some acknowledgement of that grief and that trauma and what that was like for her or that or at least that that impacted her in some way whether that's the direct connection to the clinical depression or not I cannot say all I know is even just the trauma of being clinically depressed going through shock therapy which I want to look up shock therapy a little bit more because I've seen it in movies and read about it in books but I don't really exactly know what it is but it seems horrible it seems very inhumane. I think there's a reason why they put shock therapy in a lot of horror movies. That's mostly where I've seen it play out because it does seem horrible and does not seem like it's actually, I think what it, I think what it does is it kind of just like from the, from reading the book, it seems like it sort of like numbs receptors maybe. And so some of the the like the spiraling that can happen in depression, irrational thoughts maybe that can happen in depression, it maybe like numbs those those thoughts. That's how or that's how it seemed to present in the book, how shock therapy, quote unquote, seemed to help temporarily might work like a psychotropic psychotropic drug that there's a temporary release because it numbs the feelings yet that temporary release that you experience with psychotropic drugs doesn't actually address what's underneath those feelings in the first place which a lot of times that's trauma and in esther greenwood's case it's likely trauma and so anyway those are the the main observations i had after reading this book that i literally just finished about half an hour ago maybe an hour ago no yeah literally half an hour ago I finished this book. So those are my main observations about the trauma. I immediately read about Sylvia Plath's life out of curiosity, thinking this book was autobiographical, and then boom, it was. So she also experienced sexual assault. She also was in an abusive marriage that may or may not have been the reason why she had a miscarriage. Her father, again, died when she was eight years old, and she experienced clinical depression, had an emotional breakdown after being in New York City for one month, just like the character in the book. And yeah, she had a lot of trauma in her life. And so this, I'm, I'm thinking of myself, I'm an I'm a author as well. I've, I have one book published and I have often wondered because so many of the authors that I think are just fantastic writers are, are, have a lot of trauma and some of what comes out in their writing comes out of that trauma. And so I sometimes wonder <laughs> as I as I study trauma, have become a mental health professional, I sometimes wonder if that will inhibit me in my writing in some way to have an understanding of trauma. Am I going to be more analytory analytory? Am I am I gonna analyze more in my books, make those associated connections between things. Oh, there's also 
a hint in the book that Esther Greenwood was potentially also had OCD and because she calls herself neurotic many, many times. And then there was just this like manic Sylvia Plath's life, some of the, the, of the moments in her life where it just seems like there's just like this manic organization about her life and her, her, the way she sets up her life, her, she has a very, very high IQ. And so it could just be that, but there's also just a enough hint of Esther Greenwood's life. And then also Sylvia Plath's life that she might also have had OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. So fascinating, absolutely fascinating. The book itself is is really, really beautiful. It's very beautiful writing. There's a reason why it is as well known as it is. It's also just, it makes me sad. I think as I was reading it, I was sad knowing what I know about trauma because I was just sad for the character because had this occurred, you know, 40 years later, there just would have been more understanding and more resources about what what was going on. And I think there were eventually a good doctor, she gets a good doctor who actually befriends her and actually curates her healing plan, like specifically for her. And so I think that that made a huge difference in her recovery of just having a doctor who was also relational and didn't treat her like she was crazy and actually treated her like a a human being and that made a huge difference and there are there are a lot of things that I feel like had the story taken place at a different time with a different context Esther Greenwood wouldn't have suffered so much and so that makes me sad and then I also think that of, of Sylvia Plath's life just there are different resources available but then again just because resources are available doesn't mean that people always have access to them and if you're around people in like in her family that just don't didn't understand those things and didn't didn't yeah just didn't understand what was going on and maybe shamed her for what she was experiencing which there was definitely hint of that happening or just not a shaming her but just disassociating and pretending like it didn't happen there's a scene at the end of the book where the mother just says we're just gonna pretend like all of this was just a bad dream and she responds kind of in her head the character responds in her head like I live in a like I live in a bad dream like my entire life is a bad dream and so the mother just like wants to sweep sweep what happened under the rug and just pretend like it didn't happen yet for the main character she was so aware that this had defined her life and would define her life and there's that disassociation and that dismissal of something that was really significant for her just because the resources are available does not mean that people always have access to them still it made me really sad how how much Esther Greenwood suffered when a lot of it could have been alleviated and prevented so really great book It's probably going to be one of my favorite books because I just love analyzing people and I love analyzing. There's so much psychological depth to the story. So I will probably buy my own copy. And yeah, that is the trauma that occurred in The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. Join us for the next episode, Trauma in the Fallout how she feels like an outsider now that this thing that happened to her changed her forever and she doesn't feel normal and she can't connect she's 
very common for trauma survivors to feel like they are altered and no longer normal.